Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well, thank you. Good. All set to go. Yes. Yeah, got to take care of business here because we have a little meeting coming up uh, this weekend. Lots to do. And uh, <laughs> you're, you're not nervous at all about that because you have to worry about everything. I don't worry about anything. Well, it's always <laughs> and a I'm challenge. sure you'll have it down pat and there'll be a lot of people there and they're going to be very pleased. But before that, we have talked about things that people should be displeased with. Yeah. And there was a, a major finding this past week in a court, which uh, actually it was pretty startling to me. Uh, and this, this had to do with uh, Hillary's lawyer, Michael yeah. Uh, Sussman, yeah. who uh, I, th I think pe people have written that he actually s said he lied. Yeah. You know, he wasn't really hiding behind it to a to an FBI agent. And that, of course, is a, a mixed bag because that system is a mess. But this describes the mess in our judicial system and the CIA and the FBI and the whole works. Because uh, even though it looked like it was going to be cut and dried, uh, you know, nobody voted against him. Everybody just exonerated him. Yeah. And said, and uh, I would think that the average person off the street, especially those who have never been involved in politics, just describe what has occurred as saying, yes, he lied. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I think our system is so neat and clean that if you can prove one lie against somebody, they said lied against the FBI. Well, I'm, I'm worried about it. how do you stop the FBI from lying? Yeah, no, that's or the CIA. Thing. The yeah. CIA's position is... Of course we lie. Yeah, we were taught how to lie and kill and steal, you know, that whole thing. But anyway, the, the, the uh, finding came down and he's, they said that uh, he, he was totally uh, innocent and Hillary was delighted, you can imagine. But I wonder when she knew that uh, there would be no, uh, no conviction. Probably a year ago. Probably when it happened. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about this. But uh, our friend Jonathan Turley, you know, uh, was a bit annoyed by this thing, too. And he's somebody we really respect on, this, on these legal matters. But I want to read a quote that he wrote why he thinks it's uh, really out of control, this whole thing. Uh, he says, uh, this is by Turley. I mean, he is facing a jury that has three Clinton donors, an AOC donor, and a woman whose daughter is on the same sports team with Sussman's daughter, <laughs> with the exception of randomly selecting people out of the DNC headquarters, you could not come up with a worse jury. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I don't know what the process has to be, but I guess, I guess a lot of responsibility, if, if this came up, if you had a, had a good judge, he, he would probably have authority to wake up a few people with this. But I don't know what the process is, is how to stop this. But anyway, it went all the way, and uh, the result is that uh, he's totally innocent. And uh, I think it raises some questions rather than answering all the questions because uh, I, right now I don't think uh, there's much, many people, you know, who are serious are raising, raising the question, I wonder if he really did lie, I wonder if he did, he, he practically admitted he lied. So I don't think that, that is the issue. Uh, the, the, big, uh, the, the big question they have is uh, why, why has he been able to do this 
and get away with it. And what does it really mean? What does it mean in the scheme of, of, uh, of things in the judicial system? And what does it mean about elections? And I mean, it goes on and on and raises this question. I think this was a, a really, uh, in, in a scheme of things, not a major issue in the sense that uh, it, it, uh, it, it, uh, it, it was major because it was significant and it was a, an accusation of lying. But uh, when it comes to somebody standing on trial for murder and a few other things, it, it to me looks. It makes me suspicious. But I, I was never suspicious before I started working with you. Yeah. You, you make me suspicious. Conspiracy. But I'm just wondering, you know, uh, because uh, you know, it, it just looked like. Why would anybody push this trial? You know, uh, it, it almost and it it was all it was such a benefit. You know, to Hillary and they say, well, that's the you know the Hillary people say. See, that's the way justice works. This is a wonderful victory for, for uh, the judicial system and for the jury system. But I think, in my mind, I still have lots of questions. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the whole Hillary presidential campaign of 2016 was simple. Trump is Putin. And that's what they were able to get along. And they lied through their teeth about it. The Alpha Bank, all sorts of things. The bugging of the campaign, uh, which Obama was involved in. The whole thing was a lie, but it was a very successful lie. It was a successful dirty trick. I think it makes Watergate look like something out of the kid's sandbox. Uh, but this is what it is. Trump is Putin. So this, this trial essentially was Hillary versus Putin. It wasn't Sussman versus, you know, the U.S. government. It wasn't. It was Hillary versus Putin in a town that voted 90% in favor of Hillary in 2016, as Turley points out. And at a time where Putin is even more of a Hitler or whatever you want to call him than he was in 2016. So the guy is even lower on the rung. It's Hillary versus him in a town where Hillary is the queen of the beltway. And Turley himself points out that one of the jurors, they interviewed him afterwards. This is pretty interesting. He said, I don't think it should have been prosecuted. There are bigger things that affect the nation than a possible lie to the FBI. <laughs> So basically he's saying, hey, whatever, no big deal, he lied. And as you say, it's not as cut and dried about lying to the FBI and getting prosecuted, as we'd say. But this sort of idea that this kind of uh, attitude prevails in the town does bring up, and Turley says, not necessarily these people are biased and can't be on a jury, but certainly it raises the question of whether this is a politicized, quote-unquote, justice or an actual justice. You know, with this if, m amount of information, which uh, is fairly accurate, this result seems to be pretty weird, but uh, it, it should have destroyed, well, a lot of things should have destroyed Hillary's credibility a long time ago, but this should, this should re really totally destroy that. And the DNC, I mean, uh, if, if people wonder whether there's cheating going on, of course, 99% of the accusations, maybe not quite that much, but the accusations basically by the major media is that Trump did, did all the bad stuff. He was one most, I imagine the majority of the American people still think that Trump was in bed with the, with the Russians in this campaign because it was pumped into their brain yeah. for so long. Endlessly. And this would have been, you know, uh, a, a chance to change this. But uh, I, wonder, I wonder about changing the venue, taking that case and getting it out of that area. I wonder, 
if if you had a different judge, I wonder if uh, there was some prohibition against it. But most of the time, if you say, yeah, I can't get a tra fair trial here, uh, you know, a decent judge would say, well, that's probably true. So, and then he'd let them go someplace else. But I don't even know if that, that, that proposal, I'd be, I'd like to know if the proposal was ever made, you know, to the judge, uh, you know, to change the venue. Yeah, it was interesting, and, and, and Turley did make some good points comparing this line to the FBI case versus the case against Michael Flynn. And he said the contrast couldn't be greater. It was held in the same district, federal district court in D.C., but the way the court ruled on evidence on Sussman versus Flynn was diametrically opposed. On Sussman, they absolutely limited to the bare minimum the evidence that could pr be presented, whereas in the Flynn case, it was no holds bar throw in everything, throw in all the mud and get your conviction. So there is a question about the politicization of this, of this justice here in the D.C. court. And I think it's a larger question that people are, are asking probably about the country. But it seems very, very evident here that you had a political judge who was out to make a political point. Right. Do you want to go on to our next little item that we more have? More court stuff. Yeah, yeah more yeah, court stuff. Right. Texas stuff. Texas ruling next week, and they got to stay on a bill dealing with a problem that we've alluded to and uh, admitted we don't have one magic uh, wand to wave and solve the problem, but it's a significant. That has to do with the First Amendment rights dealing with uh, social media. And uh, do they have a right to censor what they produce? And they, they claim they're producing a private business uh, organization and, and therefore they have a right to monitor and make sure there's no hate speech in there and they're protecting the people. And they make it sound very good. And of course, uh, uh, I think if you have any instinct toward libertarianism, you work real hard to uh, protect uh, the right of the First Amendment. To, and the founders understood very well that it, uh, it, protects, it protects you for saying things that are, you know, impolite. Uh, but you, that doesn't give you the permission to libel or slander. And so this has been going on. And I think the other thing that they had to face in this case was the fact that uh, would the rules of newspapers be uh, uh, applied to this uh, uh, that existed before the, uh, before the uh, social media? Uh, or is it a, uh, a, a different system and there, there can't be any liabilities? But, when these laws were passed recently, these companies have, they're exempt from some of the liability, yeah. you know, and that to me must be a major effort, but it, I don't think, um, I don't think it's going to be sorted out very easily because I even think this vote was five to four, but some of the people I consider pretty good on there, uh, you know, but this was a stay. This wasn't a final decision yeah. on the bill itself and maybe the confusion and the rulings and some people said we ought to wait for the lower court ruling to come through. So, but it, it is, it is bad because the one thing that, uh, that bothered me the most was uh, they, they talked about uh, they were they, the law that uh, that was passed that was being challenged said that we had they have a have an ability uh, to uh, challenge uh, people being kicked off for their political views. Now that gets a little bit messy, you know. That, but they said that if their political views are really really bad, you can do it. But First Amendment, that, I don't think that approaches the seriousness of uh, defending the First Amendment. And the problem we have with this, and we've struggled with this on this show for a long time now, 
The problem is it's not as simple as conservatives versus liberals and progressives uh, as the media would like to make it look. Um, it's more complicated. And this is a Texas law that would allow, would have allowed Texans to sue companies if they censor an individual based on political viewpoints or geographic location. Uh, and so that is a difficult, and as you point out, it was a five to four ruling, it was a very close ruling. The dissent was Justices Alito, uh, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Um, but it's, it's not a cut and dried uh, issue at all. And as you say, it's an issue of whether these are publishers or whether they're platforms. Is Twitter a publisher? In which case, obviously, they have the, the right to edit what they put out. But then if they're publishers, they don't have, as you say, some of the uh, uh, exemptions from prosecution as to what they publish, which they do have. Or are they simply a platform where they say, here, you know, here it is, and you print what you want. And it's just, it's not as simple as it's said. And here, I think uh, Justice Alito captured how difficult it is to grapple with this. He said, it is not at all obvious how our existing precedents, which predate the age of the Internet, should apply to social media no. companies. And that's a good and point. That's, that's a big challenge that they have. Uh, I keep looking for the free market answer to this, and I think, one, they shouldn't have immunity, uh, and, uh, but nobody should have the right to slander, and there should be recourse. But also, um, you know, social media is being exposed for what they are, and the more they're exposed, the more unlikable they become. And they, they are not capitalists. They care a darn about First Amendment rights. That, that's my opinion. Yeah. So, but uh, the, the other thing that could happen, there will be new platforms. And there are new platforms. And they're trying to invite people into them. And they're promising, you, you know, more flexibility uh, and a, a, a better approach to when people get canceled and thrown off for political reason yeah. and uh and, and uh, so I would think as these platforms get more popular and people are always looking, we're always looking, well, how are we going to be out there if, if, they, if they cancel us? Uh, and the, I, I think the contract solves a lot of problems in, in the free market system. Is, uh, and the contract is still respected, but uh, in this case, the contract has been between the politicians and the big companies uh, because from the very beginning, these social these social companies got benefit from the government. I think uh, I think they're part of corporatism. I think they work hand in glove together. I think they get fees. Uh, you, you know, these uh, corporate media companies get fees from the government to help monitor everything that we do. So this is a far cry from laissez-faire capitalism that uh, honor and respect the First Amendment. I don't. I, I think that it would be good if that was the only thing we were dealing with. But this is this is uh, much much more uh, you know special interest I think I think there's a grand collusion you know between government and social media which is a challenge to the First Amendment but uh, I think they have the wording on their side where they say oh we're a private company yeah. so the, the big yes they're they're a private they're a private company but are you doing the dirty work for the government you know think of all those enforcement uh, rules during COVID. I mean, it was the private companies doing it. 
and uh, and the government said, oh, we know we leave it up to the companies, and and then they have all kinds of ways to blackmail companies or local communities to ban these these laws handed down. So uh, it's a it's a far cry from understanding exactly how uh, the First Amendment would work in a free society. I think the smoking gun of this collusion is very very obvious that these media companies only censor in a way that reinforces government narratives you know you don't see them out there saying oh we're going to censor anyone who says that shots are great right it's always what the government wants they want to say that shots are great so if you say they're not great forget it you're out if you say well you know uh, maybe russia has a point going into boom you're gone so they always censor in a way that the government wants and you point out that the market is working slowly not as quickly as some would like, but look at places like Rumble, who are far less uh, censoring of their viewers. And a lot of people that have been banned from YouTube are now on Rumble and are successful on Rumble. Uh, and, and others, Odyssey is, is there too, and there are a few others. But that's a very, very good thing, I think. But the other thing, and we, we talked about this a little bit before the show, one other solution might be the issue of contracts. Because there is a contract when you sign a terms of service and go on to Twitter or Facebook or what have you, um, but then when you get banned, like some of us at this table were, not Ron Paul, <laughs> right? When you get banned and you say, well, what, how did I violate the term of service? And they said, well, it's this. And you said, well, actually, if you look at what I said, I didn't violate this. It was something other than that. And then you get a robot saying, you're banned, you're banned, you're banned, you know, forever. So maybe, a, you know, a, a contract that could be enforced might be one solution out right, of it. Right, and uh, you describe the conflict, and then they have an immunity. You yeah. can't sue them, yeah. you, you know. So it, it isn't a very a very good system at all, and uh, yet it's a very important subject. But I, I'm a strong believer in the marketplace. What we have to do is always move to the market making more decisions, uh, you know, with the contract, and also pointing out the collusion thing, you know, whether it's the money collusion or whether it's the revealing of information, uh, uh, you know, to, to the government that, that they, probably against the federal law for the government even to do it. So what do they do? They let some company do it. And, yeah. and then there's always a threat of what can they do uh, that the government can both harm and help these companies. And they know it. They, they, they know that uh, they might make big bucks for uh, turning over big lists. And uh, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a big financial thing that, that goes on. But uh, it's, this hasn't settled it, but it's caused attention to the problem. And uh, I, I just hope as the time goes on that we get real serious discussions and proposals on how we can make sure that they use the principles of personal liberty and contract uh, and uh, f understanding the First Amendment because uh, th that is so necessary. Because if we, if we don't have freedom of expression, uh, you know, it's, it's tough enough already because, you know, the media is totally controlled. Yeah. And we can't say, well, they're big, we have to cut them back. Oh, they're political, we have to stop them from saying anything political. That, that won't be it. But we have to get uh, people to the point where they know exactly what, uh, you know, a free society is like and why, uh, 
you know, criticizing people um, still permitted under the First Amendment. You yeah. Know? And uh, most most of these things can be handled voluntarily and with contracts. But then you have to have a, a set of rules, and uh, you have to have a, a just a justice department that might be fair and balanced too. And we just went over a case yeah. where the justice department isn't always fair and balanced in distributing justice. Well, on the one hand, we hate the, the collusion between the government and these companies, and that's absolutely corrupt. And as you point out, it is fascism uh, for sure because they get the goodies if they go along with what the government says. But we also hate the politicization of this issue, and that's a real problem. And there's another Politico article that's out that quotes a fellow called Adam Candub, who's a former Trump administration official. He supports the Texas law. Uh, and it's here's from the article. He agreed that change is on the way, which is not good. He said, quote, the axiom axiomatic any restriction on business is bad approach of the Federalist Society judges is fading fast in the face of the rights anti-tech animus. Quote, we have a different dynamic working now, he said, noting that the whole conservative movement is facing the same question. So his view, and I think it's an incorrect view, is that this is an anti-conservative animus. They're colluding to block out conservative voices. That is patently untrue. What they do collude with government on is to, is to disappear, to silence voices that are outside the narrative because we know many honest, decent, progressive-oriented websites, Twitter accounts, etc., that have also been banned for challenging the narrative on a number of issues, the Middle East, the wars, uh, the COVID, uh, look, Mint Press News and Consortium News, two very, in my view, fairly mainstream from the independent side outlets have been canceled by PayPal. Yeah, and what they're leaning toward and a concern is that uh, the collusion is the problem. They're not colluding right, yeah, the right way exactly. to do it. That's it. You know, we, want to, we want to collude too. Yeah, let us collude. <laughs> oh, that's, that means we need to win more elections. Yeah. Well, why don't we win more elections for people who defend the First Amendment yeah. and understand private property and understands the Constitution? That, that is it. But no, we, we need our colluders in yeah. there. And, uh, and we have a few uh, on our side that uh, are pretty good at, at, at substituting uh, their collusion with our collusion. <laughs> people, people, people need to understand that, uh, you know, people do it, you know, some of them do it for, for the benefit of the individual who seems to be suffering. That's why you have a welfare state. You can't allow you can't allow people to suffer. We have to, we have to take care of them, and therefore they have to use force to do it. But then, then they're making the whole situation worse. So uh, I don't think this problem is going to be solved by more regulations or change in regulation. It's going to be solved by understanding why people should voluntarily get along together and have a system uh, built into the contract and who the negotiator and the arbitrator is going to be. And that, that has already worked in our system and that needs to be emphasized. Absolutely. You said it way better than I was trying to say it. But let's move on to the last one and this is just an interesting story because we've been following the, uh, the transition or the transformation of views on the U.S. and EU reaction to the Russia-Ukraine situation. And I'm going to ask if we forward, uh, skip those first two clips and just go right to the one with, uh, with the evil Putin on the cover. Uh, there we go. This is from The Guardian. The Guardian is a very mainstream, pro-war, progressive 
right-wing, <laughs> however you want to call it, a magazine, very establishment newspaper. Larry Elliott has an op-ed saying, Russia is winning the economic war, and Putin is no closer to withdrawing troops. And he points out, the perverse effects of sanctions means rising fuel and food costs for the rest of the world. And fears are growing of a humanitarian catastrophe. Sooner or later, a deal must be made. He's recognizing the obvious. And I would say, Dr. Paul, uh, if you were going to put a mole in the U.S. and EU governmental structures who was secretly working for Putin, you could not have done better than what they have achieved now. Uh, but I put this quote up in this next quote because this is something that I know you'll want to comment on. This is from the article. Sanctions were imposed on Vladimir Putin not because they were considered the best option, but because they were better than the other two available courses of action, doing nothing or getting involved militarily. And isn't that how exactly the case? Well, we got to do something. Okay, <laughs> how about sanctions? Worse. Yeah, Even if it's worse. But, but the other thing that they never go, go to the next step. Well, if we do this, uh, what might be the unintended consequence or maybe the intended consequence for some of them, you know, the chaos that it causes. But all this nonsense of us uh, regulating the markets and the current president, I, I tend to always want to be careful and say, oh, it's Putin caused all of the inflation. <laughs> it's not quite that simple, he, but he's caused a lot of heartburn and a lot of harm. But in everything he has added on to the inflationary problem, which is a monetary problem and a Federal Reserve problem, uh, who's, who's paying the bills on it? The Americans are suffering. That's, that's why their gasoline bill is even higher. See, the gasoline bills would be high even without all this nonsense on the regu stupid regulations. And uh, it, it, it would be high because of the debasement of the currency. Yeah. But now, now it's, uh, they add this to it. And so in all this activity, the American people are paying for this, and it's making them angry. And uh, unfortunately, what generally happens throughout history is the anger turns into violence, and uh, and and people don't know how to handle it otherwise, because it's always the same thing over and over again. You know, uh, and always right now uh, it's a it's a blame game. How, how do who are we going to blame for all this? And uh, and they're always saying, well, Trump, Trump's to blame. He's not even in office, but he's still been blamed for everything and well, well does Hillary get blamed she she's not in office but her friends are in office yeah do, do they get blamed oh no they're saintly yeah. <laughs> you know they they'll take care of us so it it's a it's a real pro problem and you know I think what is interesting is uh, how how the Russians have circumvented they, they really people won't believe this but the, <laughs> the the Russians and the Chinese are actually using some some uh, free trade principles that when somebody blocks it, you think up something else. If somebody says, you can't come into our country, we won't do it. Well, we'll go around you. Yeah. So they use that principle and uh, they've been able to uh, to accomplish a lot of sales. Once again, experience because everything we do causes prices to go up and the Russians make more profits yeah. because because the costs are up. But in the other area. The, uh, the Russians and the Chinese and the Indians right now are talking more than ever about an alternative to the dollar. Now, uh, that, that is a big deal. It's, it's not going to be the here tomorrow, but we're on a road to that where the dollar, and we've already seen uh, records amount of goods and services being traded uh, w with, the, with the use of the dollar or getting away with using the ruble. 
which uh, on yeah. a scheme of things, oh, who would want a ruble? Well, right now there's some people who say, well, if that's the only way I can buy oil, that's the way I'm going to do it. That's how we barged in to made the dollar, the, uh, the, the, the currency, the world currency, is, is uh, we made a deal with the, with the uh, uh, Saudis. So, oh, we'll take care of you. We'll give you all your bombs you ever wanted. And, uh, and, and you just use, make sure everybody has to use dollars. And that's being challenged. Now, interesting things that happen, but dangerous. And that's the irony of the whole thing, right? Because we've been <laughs> speculating, well, is the euro going to rise and challenge the dollar? Is the one going to rise and challenge the dollar? Nobody would have guessed that the ruble <laughs> would be the one to rise and challenge the dollar. And it's all the, our own doing, the EU <laughs> and the U.S. is doing. A conspiracy. It, it is. <laughs> but you rightly point out the Americans are paying for this, and so are the Europeans, even worse than us. $8 a gas gallon in California. I think it's 10 or so in, uh, in Europe. But put up this next clip because this is a... This demonstrates exactly this from the article, exactly what's happening. There is, though, no immediate sign of Russia pulling out of Ukraine. And that's hardly surprising because the sanctions have had the perverse effect of driving up the cost of Russia's oil and gas imports, massively boosting its trade balance and financing its war effort. In the first four months of 2022, Putin could boast a current account surplus of $96 billion, more than triple the figure for the same period in 2021. So he's tripled his trade surplus. He is massively exporting gas at super high prices and ironically actually funding his war because of U.S. sanctions. Again, you could not have a better outcome if you were Putin masterminding a whole slew of spies within Brussels and Washington to do his bidding. Forget about Trump. You know, you'd have all this doing. So it's just amazing. And this, in a nutshell, is what sanctions do. They have the opposite effect. And the, and the inflation causes the prices to rise, and they don't know what to do about it because they don't understand what's happening. But uh, one thing that does happen is uh, services get mixed up because you've lost the unit of account and the smoothness of a marketplace and the invisible hand is stomped on. You can't do it. doesn't doesn't work. So I was talking to this businessman. He was in international uh, trade and business like this, and I said, you know, here we're starting to hear now that if you if you want something, if you're going to buy a a car or whatever, they might tag on and say that price is good for a week or two weeks or a month or something like that. You can't come back in six months and do that. So there are limits. And I brought that subject up to him, and he says the stuff we're buying now, they have a guarantee on a price of one day. Wow. You buy it or else the price could go up tomorrow. I said, you know, I've watched this for a long time and I've watched it closely in the 70s. I'm sure there could have been contracts like that. But that to me was really startling that uh, that's, that's a big deal because, you, you know, the, the speed of exchange of money really increases the money supply. Because if you can spend the same dollar four times in one day, you know, uh, you, you have more access to the volume of money. And it's it's something that we're in. that's why at the end even the Fed can't stop it. Yeah. It's the psychology of the of the money and the pricing structure. But it, but anyway, that was just I, I was I was a bit shocked about that. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just going to close out by saying uh, thanks to our viewers. Obviously, as we do every day, thank our viewers. Also, uh, to those traveling for our Saturday conference, we pray you have safe travels. We look forward to seeing you, to having a good time. 
I know as our good friend Bumper Hornberger said, meeting with all of you recharges our batteries. <laughs> We're working in a cave here trying to put out the show every day. So meeting real live people uh, is a real charge for us as well. So we we're looking forward to it as well. So we'll see you all on Saturday. Very good. I want to just close once again, of course, for uh, thanking our viewers for tuning in. It's very important to us. and It's very important that you adopt uh, the uh, principle that spread the message because that makes all the difference in the world. And uh, sometimes people get discouraged and say, well, we're still only 10% of the population. I, wouldn't, I don't even think about that. I think about the quality of people who care about it and understand it because it's so powerful, the power of an idea. But unfortunately, one thing you have to contest with are bad ideas work the same way. If there's no resistance, and the best resistance resistance to a bad idea is a good idea because as libertarians you don't say well these people have bad ideas we have to destroy them and we have to use violence to stop uh, stop what they're doing no it's in the area of understanding right now I would say there's very few people that come out of our government school system and our government colleges and have any vague notion about uh, about the principles of the free market and uh, I, I think that uh, if you if you did a poll and say you know what what do you think about the free market let's say the Austrian School of Economics <laughs> I bet I bet their eyes would glaze over but our job is to spread that message because I think it's such a perfect answer to the tragedies we have because just about everything we talk about here you can and do it without demagoguing it, point back to some ridiculous thing that the government has done in a bad policy or what the economists taught us to do and practice. And so therefore, uh, we have a lot of options and that's where I'm more optimistic. I'm not very optimistic about how many people we have in Washington. Sometimes there's very few standing up for these principles, but there's more and more people now. And where we get the receiving message there is every year that we have a conference uh, we have more and more people that would like to come, and we appreciate that very much. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.